hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We know little about the Magi mentioned in the book of Matthew, but we do know that if you visit the cathedral in Cologne, Germany, you'll see the relics that inspired the construction of one of the largest Gothic churches in Europe. Lead teacher Jeff Norris finishes the series, A Season of Anticipation, with this Christmas Eve sermon entitled, One Thing which covers Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Thank you for spending an hour with us on your Christmas Eve coming out. And um, we hope this is a blessing for you. We hope it's not just routine Christmas Eve activity where you come and check something off the list because this is what you do on Christmas Eve and you, you do this maybe to appease a family member and you don't really wanna be here, we get it. We know that happens. Um, but we hope that this is something that you actually uh, find to be significant, not only for this day, but in your life. Yeah, we believe there is a God and that he is at work and that he created each one of us for him, to know him, to be in relationship with him and that he is drawing us unto himself. And so we pray that uh, even what we're doing here in this hour together would go uh, in a great way, would go towards his drawing us into himself. Now I think about Christmas Eve and I try to remember what it was like as a kid, as a child, uh, what this day was like and how it was actually like, you didn't think much about it other than it was the day that was before the day. You couldn't wait for this day to get over and do whatever it is that you do on Christmas Eve because tomorrow is the day. That's when we get the stuff. And that's what Christmas is all about, right? This is how we think as kids, and and let's be honest, some adults, we still think that way. And trying to remember what it was like, even my kids this morning, my older two, that I thought, you know what, they're teenagers, they're not gonna care. I mean, they're kind of getting over this. They were all four of them. Even my young ones and old ones were like, I wish this day would go by so fast because I can't wait for tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and by noon, we're like, oh, it's already gone. Man, that was fast. And uh, okay, 365 days, here we go. Let's look forward to it again. And it's just this kind of perpetual, like, what's coming next? It's how we live life, and it's how we have actually set up Christmas to be in our rhythms. I think about that and I think, you know, it's so hard. It's so hard as a follower of Christ to keep Christmas about the one thing, about him. And I even think about that one thing phrase and it reminds me of a movie, one of my favorite movies when I was growing up in the early 90s called City Slickers. A great movie. It had the late, great Jack Palance in it who is no longer with us, and he played this rough, gruff cowboy character named Curly Washburn. And then he had Billy Crystal, the great Billy Crystal, playing Mitch Robbins. Mitch Robbins is a 39-year-old man who lives in New York City, and he's kind of done everything that the world says, this is what life is about. This is what you should do. This is what you should be. He graduated college, got a great degree. He got a good job. Uh, he was elevated within his job over the course of the years. During that time, he met the love of his life. He married her. They have kids. Now he's 39. He's looking 40 in the face. He's scared of midlife crisis, and he's going, uh, is there more? I don't think I've really nailed it yet as to what my purpose is. What is this thing that, I, that 
oh, just missing it. And so he and some buddies decide that the way to find out what it is that we're missing is to take a two-week trip out west and do a two-week cattle drive with some real deal cowboys. And that's when we'll find out. We'll, we'll get away from the city. And so these city slickers go out west. And they meet a number of cowboys, but the one that is just making great impact on them is Curly. And Curly is this old man. He looks like he's pushing 120 but he's filled with wisdom. And there's this great scene in the movie where Curly and Mitch are on horseback riding alongside together as the others continue to press the herd forward. And Mitch is sharing some things that are a little kind of more personal at the heart level. And Curly actually begins to open up about his past love life and different things that he's learned. And the next thing you know, Curly holds up one finger and doesn't say anything, but just holds up one finger. And Mitch says, what's that? He says, it's the one thing. And Mitch says, what's the one thing? What, what, what does that mean? And he said, that's for you to figure out. And the implication is so clear. It's insinuating that there's something out there for you, that one thing. And when you find it, you will find meaning and purpose. And Mitch is going, oh, yeah, I got to do that. I got to find the one thing. And this is the message that we tell each other all the time. There's a one thing for each of us. And that plays into perfectly how we do life in America because we, we esteem more than anything else individuality. And individuality is supreme to say, hey, for each of you, there's something for you. Find it, and in it, you will find meaning and purpose and life and value. And we go, okay, I buy that. But that's actually not the story that the Bible gives us. That's not the purpose that the Bible gives us. There's not one thing for each of us necessarily in our individuality. There's one thing for all of us together. And that one thing, that one thing changes everything. And so we find kind of a, a hint at this and probably even more than a hint in the story of Jesus' birth that we just had read to us. And we picked it up in the story, the part of the story where the wise men come. So we kind of skipped over the part that you've probably heard more uh, often than not on Christmas Eve services. You've heard it from Linus in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. The Luke 2 passage where we, we hear about the shepherds being in the field, watching over their flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and lo and behold, or however it goes from there on, you know what it is. And they say, oh my goodness, we gotta go visit this child. And you show up and there's Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough for animals. Now, kids, I want to ask you a question. When you look at the nativity set in your home, who's there? I want you to talk to me. Shout it out. If you're a child, shout it out. What do you see in your nativity set? You see Jesus, of course. It's important he's there. Let me hear you. Mary, Joseph, angel. Did I hear reindeer? I don't know who said that, but parents... I gotta see that nativity set if you've got reindeer in there, that's great. Okay, I heard back here, I heard wise men. Okay, we gotta talk. Are the wise men supposed to be in your nativity set? No. I don't know who that was, I hear you, brother. They're not supposed to be there because actually what, what we uh, understand here in Matthew chapter two is that the wise men are actually coming to the party a little late. Uh, they're, they're showing up when Jesus is somewhere between the ages of one and two. 
Uh, we, we've been able to put that together over the years, and I say we as though I had something to do with it. I read scholars who have put that together over the years, and I go, okay, that sounds good. No. Um, but he was somewhere between the ages of one and two once he was a child. It says here in the text that he's a child at this point, not an infant. And here's why. These wise men, they had traveled from a great, great distance. Let me give you a little bit of history on these wise men. We'll learn a little bit more about them. Uh, first of all, we don't know that there were three. The passage doesn't tell us how many there were. It just says that there were wise men, plural. Could have been two, could have been 12, could have been 20. We don't know. We just know that it was more than one. The reason that we think there were three is because there were three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we don't know that that was one per person, in fact, one of the reasons that we think that there were probably more than three is because gold, frankincense, and myrrh were incredibly hard things to come by. It's not, those are things that aren't commonly held by individuals because they're treasures, as we'll see later. And so most likely what happened is a group of these wise men came together, pooled the resources together in, in an effort to be able to bring those types of gifts to this newborn king. So we don't know that there were three. It could have been many. Another thing that we learn about these wise men is that, as I mentioned a moment ago, they came from a very, very long distance. Uh, studies have shown that they most likely came from, back in that day, it was either Babylon or Syria, which today would be modern-day Iraq or Iran. And so if you can see the map in your head or if you're not familiar with the, with the geography over there, that's a long way from Bethlehem. In fact, it's over 1,000 miles. And so God, speaking to these uh, these wise men through a star, has a star appear in the east for them that they would begin to follow westward towards Bethlehem. And it would take them a great length of time. Now, what about wise? Why do we call them wise men? This is the word that we've used in the English language to translate the original word, and uh, it's probably not the best word. The best word is actually uh, from the Latin, and it's magi. And you may have heard that before, and that's where we get the word in the English magic, which means what that hints at and what we begin to understand about these men is that these men had no knowledge whatsoever of there being a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Old Testament, the one true God. They had no understanding of this God. In fact, what they were involved with was sorcery. They were magicians, but not like, hey, I'm gonna do a card trick magicians, but like we're gonna look at the stars and they were very into astrology and astronomy and they were gonna study the stars and based on the alignment of the stars, they were gonna be those who were summoned by kings to come in and to be soothsayers, so to speak, to say this is what you need to know about the spiritual realm. And so they were pagans, very far from God, not just in distance from Jesus but spiritually completely unaware of the one true God. These guys were not kings, as I just mentioned. They were actually summoned by kings. So when we sing, we three kings of Orientar, we're wrong. I'm just gonna go ahead and just tear down all the things that we believe about the wise men right here and now. They weren't kings. They actually served kings. These were the ones that the kings looked at as the spiritual gurus, the ones that they would say, hey, I'm having trouble with this. What do the stars say? So isn't it interesting that the one true God, the God of the universe, knowing this about these men, spoke to them in their language, so to speak, by putting a star in the night sky. 
knowing that they would already be looking in that direction, wondering, what does this mean? And they knew this is something we've never seen before. And they were compelled instinctively to follow. And so they began their journey for what could be over a year, who knows, but for a long time, to where they finally end up at the feet of Jesus. Why did they come, though? This gets us back to the language of one thing. Did you, did you pick it up in the text? There in verse two, it says very clearly why they came. It says, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. It says it again in verse 11, very clearly. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Now, why did they come this whole huge, long distance? What was their purpose? Their purpose was one thing, to worship him. That was it. It wasn't to ask anything of him. It wasn't necessarily even to hang around and annoy Mary and Joseph and say, hey, when he grows up, remember us. We expect some of that gold, frankincense, and myrrh coming back our way. He just came to worship. It's one thing. As a part of their worship, what do we see flowing out of that? What is, what is coming out of this one thing, this, this worship him centrally focused desire that they had? Here's what you see is you see that they were a people who came to give their treasures. And I already mentioned it, but I just want to reiterate, these weren't just Gifts. We say that, right? We say, and they brought their three gifts, but the word is so much stronger than gift. If I say, here, here's a gift for you, you go, okay, thanks. If, you say, if I say, hey, here, here's a treasure for you, you go, what? You're giving me a treasure? We don't use that language anymore. We immediately think of pirates and Caribbean and all that kind of stuff, but something that is a treasure to us, something that we would value so much to say, this is one of my treasures that I value more than anything else. I'm gonna lay it at the feet of the one true treasure because in the, in the presence of Jesus, this king, the king of the Jews, all other treasures pale in comparison. Another thing that we see happening in this story, and this is something that they didn't understand at the time, but we get to look back and understand it more fully, is this. The fact that these wise men, these magi, the fact that they are coming to worship at the feet of Jesus signifies something unbelievably significant. And that's this. God is drawing in, he's summoning, if you will, through this star, these wise men who, as I've mentioned, are so far from God, pagans, as the Bible would say who knew very little, knew nothing of this God, and yet all of a sudden, they are the ones that are being invited in to worship Jesus. If you've been with us over the past month at all, we've been teaching through this Advent season, this season as we remember both looking back at the coming of Christ the first time and even looking forward to his second coming. Advent is this word that in the Latin means coming that we're expecting the great arrival of someone or something is the definition. 
And so as we think back to his first coming, one of the things that we have to remember is this. God's chosen people, the Jewish people, they missed Jesus. We have to remember historically, what was it that they were expecting? They were expecting a savior who would show up on the scene in great opulence and robes, royal robes fit for a king that would come in and he would show up on the scene and actually deliver them from the oppression of the, Rome, of the Romans. The ones who were in power over God's people, the Israelites. And so they were looking out there to say, what is it that we need deliverance from most out among us? And what we need deliverance from most is the Romans so that we can get our kingdom back like it was under David and Solomon in those glorious days of flourishing that we had. And all the while, meantime, while they're looking for that kind of savior to show up, the real savior shows up because he knows that what we need most is not rescuing from something out there, but actually rescuing from something in here, namely sin, which has ravished our hearts. So Jesus comes in the silent of the night and he's not robed in, in royal robes, but he's actually wrapped in claws and laying in this manger. And God's people missed him. They didn't see it. They didn't believe it. And so God says, I want you to understand that this new covenant that I'm establishing through my son Jesus is not just for these Israelites, it's for the whole world. And I'm gonna signify that by drawing these wise men who would be the last people you would think that would show up with treasures to lay at his feet and worship him. But I want you to see that no matter where you are, no matter how far off you are, no matter what it is that you've been caught up in, God invites you to the feet of Jesus to be about the one thing you were created for more than anything else, and it's him. To worship him. This Jesus, this Jesus who shows up on the scene that we miss is foolishness to the world, is it not? Do you find it ironic that the men that we call wise end up doing something that the world considers incredibly foolish? The scriptures in 1 Corinthians 1 say that God uses the, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise things that the world looks at and says, that is stupid nonsense. Yet do you know that scripture is actually called Jesus wisdom, that he is our wisdom, that in him we actually find the very things that we've been longing for most. You remember the message of the world is there's that one thing out there for you individually, go find it and in it you will find meaning but the message of the, of the scriptures, of the Bible, of the Christmas story is there's not one thing out there. There's actually one king. And in him you find life. The good news of the Christmas story is not that there's one thing out there to be, to be finding, but there's one king out there in whom to be found in. And when the glory of the light of his presence shines into our lives and illuminates our hearts. It's much like that star that's shone in the night sky to those wise men where upon seeing it, suddenly everything is different. Everything now is centered around following that great light that leads to Jesus. And when his light begins, as the scriptures say that he is the light of the world, and when his light begins to dawn in our hearts and our eyes of faith are beginning to open to see his beauty 
in his greatness, we begin to move in such a way towards him and towards others that is all centered around him and his glory. Because he's the one thing. What's your one thing? What is it when you survey your heart, when you survey your life, that as expressed in your desires, as, ex as expressed in your worries and your fears, as expressed in your time and how you spend it, as expressed in your leisure, what is it that you find yourself time and time again saying, that's what I covet most, that is what I most am captivated by because in it I think I will find everything I'm longing for. And maybe it's not just one thing. Maybe it's a lot of things. What I would say to you and what I believe God's word is saying to you tonight and saying to me tonight is that's your gold and that's your frankincense and that's your myrrh. Those are your treasures that God is saying lay down at the feet of the one true treasure, Jesus. He is more worthy. He is better than you can ever imagine. He will fill you to the degree that you never could imagine. Would you come? Have you seen his light? Or has this whole religion thing just been about showing up when you're supposed to? Checking off the morality list when it's needed? Being as good as you can possibly be? But Jesus and all these people that follow him seem to be pretty abstract and weird. I hope you'll see Jesus in a new light tonight. I hope you'll see Jesus in a way that doesn't just become significant for you right now, but for the rest of your life. That you would lay your treasures at his feet and you would find him to be, to be the one thing. I said at the beginning, one thing can change everything. Let me be more clear. One king changes everything. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Your mercy and your kindness and your love towards us displayed unthinkably in Christ. That we are a people who deserve your wrath because of our sin. Yet, you came, Christ, to take it in our place. You came to do what we could not do, Jesus. You came to, to live the perfect life we could never live, to receive the full wrath of sin upon yourself that we deserved. And you, O oh Christ, you were the only one who ever walked the face of the earth that didn't deserve it. Yet you took it joyfully in our place. And oh, Jesus, you didn't stop there. You went to the fullest extent, defeating the very penalty of sin itself, which is death. And then you give us this incredible offering that upon belief in you, we inherit everything that is yours. Your righteousness, your goodness, your power over sin, your resurrection. And in faith in you, O oh Jesus, Oh God, you call us sons and daughters and you make us yours. We thank you 
we give you praise and we pray this evening that you would soften our hearts to see you, that your light may dawn upon our hearts, that we may worship you, the one true king. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.